This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. My hope with this podcast is that you feel supported and loved and encouraged. And we're doing a throwback episode today. So I decided I'm traveling home to Indiana where I'm from for two weeks to be with friends and family. And I decided we have enough really great episodes in the bank here that we can re-release a couple episodes here and I can take a true break and give my editor, who's amazing, Emma, a little break as well from the long hours of editing these podcasts. So you might be new here or newish and you haven't even heard these episodes. And today we are bringing you a throwback with Ralphie Jacobs. She is the founder of Simply On Purpose. This was episode 19 of the podcast. So recorded right in that first six months of starting the show and Ralphie is a positive parenting expert. She's all about bringing joy back into parenting and family life. And she has some really tangible, helpful things to share with us in this episode. It was an honor to talk with Ralphie. And even if you've already heard this episode, I bet you'll take something from it the second time around. And if you haven't listened yet, yay, here's the opportunity to do so. I hope you're having a great summer. Leave us a rating and review. If you do enjoy the podcast, that would be a huge, huge help. I check those every day and share it with your friends who you might think um, can benefit from the show. We're going to come back refreshed and ready to roll with some new awesome guests here in a couple weeks. So um, just this week and next week, we're going to be airing some repeat episodes. So hope you're enjoying your summer. Enjoy my conversation with Ralphie Jacobs. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, I'm so excited to have Ralphie Jacobs on the show. Welcome to the show, Ralphie. Hey, welcome. Nope. (laughs) I'm on your show. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, you're used to running the show on Instagram and all those things yourself. Right, right. (laughs) I took your audio course recently. We were on a trip in Florida, and I got to listen through almost every single one of the courses on there. And man, it was such a great time to to like fuel my mom brain with the information you provided because we took this trip to get away and kind of like escape from everything. We drove down to Florida, stayed at an Airbnb, um, and I would go running on the beach and just give myself a little nine-minute lesson and then pop on some music and Man, it was just so helpful. So thank you for all that you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad that you listened to it. Yeah, it is a very, very special course. So when I announced to my friends on Instagram that I was starting this podcast, so many people recommended having you on the show. If I look back on that thread, I feel like three-fourths of the responses are, Ralphie, simply on purpose. So um, needless to say, a lot of people are going to be excited to hear from you today. Can you kind of just introduce your family and what you do at Simply on Purpose? Absolutely. Yeah. So I 
Um, I'm living here in Austin, Texas. My husband and I have four daughters, beautiful daughters. And Simply on Purpose is a feed that I run where we just talk about living our lives with purpose and strengthening our families and our homes and really making a, a deliberate culture in our homes. And also I talk a lot about parenting and positive parenting, how to use our great power as parents to help navigate our children's lives and to kind of shine that light of where they want to be, where they like to go, and to just kind of be that model and using a lot of positivity to discipline. And I know that kind of sounds like well, that's an impossibility, but the way that our brains work, it actually is the very best way to parent. And there's a lot of research behind that, scientific research. So um, people love it because it feels like truth. It's gentle and kind, which is where the pendulum is swinging right now anyway. But it also has a lot of science-based truth behind it, which it, um, uh, dads love as well because it's concise, it's lawful, and it's predictable. And it really helps children to feel safe and the, for them to thrive in their environment because it's a really encouraging environment. Yeah, I like how you said the pendulum is swinging that way because you're definitely seeing it trending towards that in in parenting today. And, you know, I, I've talked about this quite a bit, but a, a lot of this is like you hear people say, oh, well, my parents did it this way and I'm just fine. You know, like I feel like that is like the most common thing people say, like my parents spanked me or my parents, you know, kept me in my place and I'm doing just fine. Um, and I have been reading and, and researching more and more on this. And honestly, my heart, like this all started selfishly. Like I wanted a less chaotic home, right? Like yeah. who wants to be yelling all the time? I say this to my kids. I say, it doesn't feel good to yell, does it? Like mm -hmm. at each other. I know sometimes we need to run outside and get some energy out, like angry energy out, but like screaming at each other doesn't feel good. Um, and then I also like that you just brought up the dads because one of the things I want to talk to you about is, is bringing our partners on board because a lot of times in parenting, one of the parents finds this like new life changing thing that's going to help the family. But if the other person hasn't read the books or hasn't done the research, it's hard to be on the exact same page, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's very difficult. Um, and as soon as you can get on the same page, your family will propel forward exponentially. Um, but it is a tricky thing to do because you have to be humble. You kind of have to leave your ego at the door. That's a hard thing for adults to do. Well, one of the quotes I pulled from the course I took of yours is parenting is not about raising children who will never make mistakes. It is about being a safe place for them when they do. Mm -hmm. I love that. Let's talk about that because so much of that, you know, I don't know, listeners, where you are in your parenting, but providing that environment when kids are young, I know is so important for, you know, when you have a 15 year old teenager and she wants, he or she wants to come talk to you because they're scared about what their friends are doing, you know? Yeah. It almost makes me tear up saying that. <laughs> mm. So can you talk about being a safe parent? What does that mean? Well, to me, and I say this all the time, it's kind of a catchphrase is to stay safe or to be a safe parent. And to 
Be a safe parent to me means that you're consistent and your children can rely on you. And you're you're that emotional touch point for them that they can come to in good times and in bad. And that um, you have unrelenting, unconditional love for them. And I want this perception of fear-based parenting um, that it works to change. Mm. I mean, it does work. But it's so short term and it's so shallow because what we're doing is we're using fear to nullify a child's will. We override their agency by using fear of like pain or loss of something that they love. And that's not a choice. Like there's no choice involved in that. A child can't use their their authority of being an individual to be able to be responsible for their own um, decisions. So they learn to shirk responsibility. They're um, more driven by um, people bossing them around rather than making uh, their own choices and becoming experts on themselves. Mm. So it's really, I really want that to change. And I feel like that's my mission that I want children to learn to love to behave well and for them to be solution finders and self-driven and confident and resilient. That's what we want, right? That's like the long-term goal. And the most important thing that I can teach parents is for them to learn how to look for what's good Mm. in their children because children are inherently good. They want to do things to please their parents and to make their parents proud of them. Um, But 95% of the good that children do in homes is completely ignored. And parents are five to six times more likely to give attention to their children when they're misbehaving mm. because it's it's such a default in our brains to look for danger, to look for what's going wrong so that we can fix it. That's just like a, you know, generations and generations of evolving behind us where we're still looking for danger. We're still looking for what's going wrong in this situation. So we ignore the good. We pay attention to the bad. And what science tells us is that's a reinforcer. We're just reinforcing all the negative behavior because the number one thing that children want in a parent and in their lives is is attention from their parents. They just want parental attention. So we pay attention to them when they're misbehaving. We ignore them when they're behaving well, which means that we're reinforcing behaviors that we just don't want to reinforce. And there's nothing more effective at changing behavior for the better than to find what they're already doing well, because our children are already doing good things, and reinforcing that through positive reinforcement. And what you'll find is it's like a chain reaction. You can't isolate behaviors. It's impossible to isolate behaviors. You say, oh, I'm just going to manipulate this behavior and modify this behavior, and it's not going to affect anything else. It's not not possible. Um, They're like links in a chain. If you pull them forward together, they'll all move forward together. So if I just say, oh, that really looks like you're reading a really good book and you just walk off, you know, like you don't need to say anything else. You just reinforce the fact that they're reading. Mm. It will help them to not fight with their sibling later, because what we find is when children feel well, they behave well and when they feel good about themselves. Then it's easier for them to do good in their environment and um, just good behavior generalizes. So I, I really, that's one of, it's just the best way to encourage children to thrive, to encourage them to um, to see themselves and kind of like write that new role for them. I think that we sometimes 
dig a really deep groove for children by labeling them with negative labels. And then not only do they start performing that role for us, but we parent them to that role. What we need to do instead is help them to see themselves in a different light and create that light for them. I know you've heard that phrase, let there be light, and there was light. Mm -hmm. That's what a parent can do. They can help create good in their homes. You know what? I actually, my parents got my oldest son the like adventure Bible for kids last summer. And I've been really bad about going into it. And I we literally just read, I've been reading with them one chapter um, a night. And we just read the creation story a couple uh, nights ago. And so much of it, I was like, oh, like I just, I don't think I've really thought super thoroughly about how much applicable <laughs> this is silly because it's the bible but how much applicable just tiny little pieces like that let there yeah. be light can just be applied to everyday life that sounds yeah. silly of me but it's true yeah and 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 let it kind of sounds easy right like just let it happen <laughs> and i think that we we overthink things way too much we assign adult meaning to things way too much if we could keep a child's perspective, mm. but then use our power as an adult to shine the spotlight where it's supposed to be, I think that would be like the perfect formula. You know, what I struggle with is when I bring those conversations to life with my kids throughout the day, like, you're doing awesome. I'm so proud of you. Oh, that's so creative. You know, those little things. And then we still melt down at the end of the day, or then we're they're still disrespectful. And I think, I did I, me, this is a selfish, did everything right, why are you responding like that? Can you walk through kind of the psychology of that and, you know, why I'm responding the way I am and why they might be responding the way they are and how we can kind of keep the peace? Yeah, sure. What we have going on here is two separate stories. We have an adult story, we have a child story, and sometimes we project our adult story onto our child, mm. and we forget that they have their own individual story. So maybe they're just having a human moment. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe something happened on the playground that really hurt their feelings, but they haven't you know, felt safe enough to talk to you about it yet. Um, and I also that going back to assigning that adult meaning is that we take it personal. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, how could you? You know, like, yeah. oh, don't you have any moral character? You know, <laughs> but <laughs> and I think that that is so interesting that when, um, but when we have like a bad moment, we're like, oh, we're just tired. You know, like we give an excuse for uh -huh, it. Uh -huh. But when our children have a bad moment, we assign like bad moral character. Mm, but mm -hmm. I think it's just, we have to remember it's not personal, it's developmental. Most of these things that children go through are just, they're just going through them. And we need to just have that respect for that struggle, tantrums, being surly, tattletaling, whining, like all of it. And so I think the goal here is just to Take a deep breath. Remember, it's not personal. It's developmental. They're their own human being with their own little kind of universe surrounding them. And then to learn to stay curious longer, mm. be willing to listen longer, watch what's happening longer um, so that you can respond in a sound way 
that you can respond with that love first and connection because what we know is that if we connect with our child first and say something empathetic like, oh, I, I hear you. You must be really embarrassed. I'm so sorry that happened. Then it's so much more likely for them to cooperate, for them to listen to us and for there to be real learning there rather than for us to just like kind of lecture and have a monologue. Mm-hmm. It's really important to connect and so they cooperate and being consistent. That's like a trick too, is to just try to be consistent, having those clear expectations so they know how to behave well. I think that's a really proactive way to parent is to have a high level of teaching in your home and a high level of that's how our family behaves kind of instruction. This is what we do. Mm. This is what's not okay in our home. This is something that, yeah, maybe other families talk about it or they do jump on the couch or they do burp at the table or whatever it is. But those are things that we don't do in our home. And these are the reasons why. And we keep to that like elevated kind of like you're discussing it with me as a counsel um, rather than um, uh, just kind of being that autocratic, you know, strict ruler who demands exact obedience. Um being more of a, I, I, I honor your choices. I honor what you're saying. I honor, um, your emotions and I, and I welcome those. And these are the boundaries of our home and they are firm and they're consistent, but, um, I honor your choices and I will let you learn from those choices because that's really where maturity lies. And we can go on to like talking about, how children fight and what goes on with that, even with those choices as well. Um, there's just so many things that a child, that a parent can do to um, to help um, encourage more peace in the home. Um, like things that we say, the verbiage that we use, instead of like using threats, you can use encouragements where you're attaching a positive phrase to it rather than negative. So if I say like, um, if you don't clean that up right now, then you're not getting dessert you know, something like that. Um, you can use an encouragement where you say, um, all the children that can clean up their space can have dessert. So you're saying, instead of taking something away, you're adding to their life. I love Um, that. Yeah. Just little things like that. And there's so many, I mean, you can like Pinterest or Google, (laughs) like there's so much information out there. And I think that's really overwhelming for parents. Mm -hmm. The goal, uh, the umbrella goal is really just using your power to add positivity and good in your child's life and create positive associations with positive behavior. Yeah, one of the one of the phrases I use all the time now after listening to your course is that that positive instead of saying don't get any water on the floor, I need you to try to keep all the water in the bathtub. Yeah. That's so simple. But when they hear it that way, it just doesn't sound like I'm shaking my finger at them. It sounds like I'm giving them a responsibility like, hey, yeah. it's your job. It's it's your job right now to try to keep all the water in the bathtub. And then it also feels less like I'm nagging on people all day. Right. And you're skill building. That's yeah. a super cool thing. Not only are you no longer the no parent and the nag, <laughs> you know, and the warden, mm-hmm. but you're the person that is like, yes, and let's build a skill, you know, like, yeah, that's the goal of parenting 
always is to give your child wisdom and tools that will help them in the future. So if we're saying no, knock it off, stop, leave that alone, don't touch, we're just getting the behavior to stop for a short term. But what can they do instead? And that's something that I always say too, is to always rely on your child's desire to have fun. So show them where they can have fun. Again, shine the spotlight. Where is it going to go? How is that behavior going to move forward in the future? Um, because um, children that are just like little obedient robots who live in fear, who don't know what to touch and what not to touch, they, that's not living a life. That's not a life of a child that his brain is being used in lots of different ways and neurons are snapping and wiring and we want children to discover and to touch, and we just need to help them to show them where they can go and what they can do. Yeah, and it, it feels a lot better to not be on that repeat of no, 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 no. Like that gets so exhausting. That being said, I mean, just it being a parent is hard. So even if you are implementing these things, it's not like you're going to have this like totally 100% peaceful life. It's still exhausting to constantly redirect and um, provide, you know, feel like you always have to provide these things. But I think it becomes more natural, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and when I just started studying this, I was like, man, this sounds like so much work. Yeah, the work. Yeah, because you you have to be super intentional. You do. You do. But like you said, it becomes more of a second nature. There, there are times where, okay, like just the other day, for example, I have all daughters and one of my youngest, she loves to wear dresses and she's always like doing somersaults uh-huh. and everything. And, and my initial, you know, gut wrench, like knee jerk is to say, um, you can't wear dresses anymore if you're showing your underwear. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's a threat, but we have, but it took me a minute to be like, no, I need to phrase that in a positive way. As you know, as long as you can keep your underwear covered, then you can wear a dress. Mm, mm-hmm. So it just takes a minute for you to be like, okay, no, I need to phrase this in a positive way. And of course, I mean, I, I like to call it long-term lazy. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It is work in the beginning. But like I said before, you're building skills so that in the future, five years down the road or 10 years down the road, you are not having to help your child clean up huge problems that will really hurt them long term. My mom would always say, little kids, little problems, big kids, mm-hmm. big problems. And I tell you what, now that I have a 17-year-old and a six-year-old, it's so true. It's those big decisions that they make, those bigger problems, those bigger hurdles, you're going to be so grateful that you taught them how to clean up a mess, that you taught them how to... Um, how correct social behavior when they're out of your home. You'll be so grateful that you put in the time and the work now rather than later because um, you really want to have a return on that investment later on down the road. What's the most surprising thing to you about having teenagers? Oh, how awesome they are. Mm. Honestly, I love teenagers. And this that's a, a surprise because... Um, my degree is in early childhood education. So I am all about the toddlers. I love preschool. I love toddlers. I love two-year-olds and three-year-olds, four-year-olds. It's my favorite, favorite age. But um, 
I absolutely love teenagers. They're so independent. They're so um, helpful. They're so resilient. They're um, determined. They bring a lot of joy and laughter into your home because you can communicate and kind of like bounce things off of each other and keep the jokes going. Um, they just are incredible people that you see like so much potential in a teenager. They're just ready to rock it mm. off and just make such a good um, impression on, on the world. I absolutely have loved having teenagers in my home. You know, I imagine this is probably a little bit different because I have all boys and you have all girls. But I know that when kids become teenagers, they, you know, they need, they do need a little more space. That's just part of life. Mm-hmm. And my oldest is eight and he's up to my shoulders now. And I just like, oh, I just want to bottle it up because I know that when he is a 13 year old boy, the likeliness of him wanting to snuggle me on the couch is, I mean, it's okay that he probably won't want to do that. It's totally normal and fine. But um, I just like, oh, I don't want to, I don't, I'm sad already for the moment when all of my boys are bigger than me and nobody wants to like, needs mommy, you know? Mm. Your role changes. It just changes. And like I said, um, in the beginning, you become even more of that emotional touch point where they come back to you and they come back and they come back. They're like a boomerang. Yeah. <laughs> they just keep coming back. And is this okay, mom? What do you think about this? Do you like this? Or um, I, I have this problem. Can you help me with it? And the, and again, these are bigger problems, right? Like things that will take more of your mental power and your resilience uh, as a parent and that stamina just last night we stayed up quite quite late answering some big questions and kind of talking things through with my oldest and um I tell you though it's really so enjoyable to uh watch them grow that way and yes like I don't get the the snuggles and and all of that stuff quite the same way but it you do get a return when they come and they sit down with sit down with you and say, Hey mom, let's watch a movie together or let's go on a walk together or let's do some, let's play a game together. You know that they still want to be with you in the way that works for them. Now, one thing I do want to hit on before we move to the next topic is kind of going back a little bit and that's not calling out disrespectful behavior. Um, I know that's kind of like one of the things that, you talk about. And I struggle with this one. And I, even though I know as it spills out of my mouth, um, like when, if I say you're so disrespectful, I know very well that that is feeding into their brain that I think they're disrespectful. And I also struggle with it because I'm like, but I, he needs to know what he's doing is wrong. Where And then you come and you say, he knows that. That's why he's doing it. So how do we navigate that without feeling like, were being walked on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for all, I would say any age, really, one of the one of the ways that children can gain back control in kind of a frantic way is they'll take the driver's seat. And what I like to imagine is like a train on tracks. Chug 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 chug. What children will try is they'll just try to knock the train off the tracks. 
So your job as the parent is to just grab that train up, pick it back up gently and put it right back on the track. So you just go back to expectations or you can say something that helps cue the behavior in a correct way. So if they say, um, I don't want to mom, you know, something like that, then you can say, oh, try again. Hmm. So you just try to, you pick up the train and put it back on its tracks. And you're just like, well, that's not what we do. Let's try that again. Um, you can say something like, hmm, sounds like you need some time. Your emotions are really high right now. And I really regret things when I, you know, that I say when my emotions are really high and I, I say things that are hurtful. So I'm going to give you a chance to just calm down and then we'll come back when this is a little bit later. Um, they just, it's just a way of gaining control. And if you can imagine, I mean, there's, there's really interesting studies about control and how if you don't feel in control of a situation, there is so much stress. Mm. People that people prefer driving over flying because they're in control of the mm -hmm. vehicle. Mm -hmm. Even though the statistics are that flying is significantly more expensive than driving. And the reason is because, yeah, they just are in the driver's seat. They're the one in control. And so when my child is yelling stuff like that at me, like, you're so rude. You're the meanest mom in the whole world. I can't believe that you, you keep telling me what to do and you're so bossy or whatever it is. I'm thinking to myself, she feels frantic. Mm -hmm. like she, there's, she's, there's no control whatsoever. So how can I give her a little bit of control? How, okay, let's, um, would you like to do it this way or would you like to do it that way? And this is the same for like a six-year-old, like my daughter who's doing um, virtual learning right now. There's so, so many times where I'm like, she just doesn't feel in control of her situation. Mm -hmm. I just need to give her some control. Are you ready to do it now or after we have a snack? Because either way, she's going to do it, right? And that's the secret with parenting is like make a choice that either way in the end, they're still going to do what needs to be done. Would you like to brush with the green brush to toothbrush or the red toothbrush? Would you like to do it, you know, for three minutes or two minutes, you know, whatever it is. So you're giving them some sense of control because we just feel so stressed and so much anxiety if we don't have any identity and there's no separation between me and another person if they're in control of my life. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I um. I, the giving choices thing has helped tremendously giving choices, but not too many choices, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause they get the, real overwhelmed with too many choices. <laughs> yeah. Always. I, the go-to is two. um, just one, one or the other. If you give too many, sometimes parents will have like seven different colors of toothbrushes. Let's <laughs> <laughs> give them two. I oh, think that's been that's life changing. Yeah. Like between, by the time I got to my third kid, um, you know, like that little methods like that, had I figured that out with number one, I think that the toddler years would have been a lot easier. I mean, every kid is different. Some toddlers tantrums are much more severe than others. Regardless, it's the nature of the child. Right. But 
Um, I think if some of those tactics that I learned later on, I, I was one of those people, Ralphie, that like prided myself in not reading the parenting books. Like, we're just going to figure this out. Like, it's fine. We're all humans here. We can we can figure out how to do this. And then as I got through, I think my oldest was four and I had two other little ones. I was like, I can't. I need help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I think it's funny, too, when um, when I talk about how parenting is really all about parent behavior and mm-hmm. it's not about children behavior and how we're modifying our behavior and not our child's. Um, that when you buy that parenting book, it's a self-help book. <laughs> it's like, yes. how can I fix myself rather than how can I fix my child? Because we can't fix our kids. We can only change our behavior and and change the environment, which is in control of the child. We're, there's no good direct control over children. Hey, everybody, a quick break here. Finding a doctor and booking a doctor who's right for you doesn't need to be a terrible experience. Will they take your insurance, understand your needs, or be available when you can see them? With ZocDoc, the answer can be refreshingly pain-free. Yes. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. You can go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked. Go to ZocDoc.com slash yelling and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash yelling. ZocDoc.com slash yelling. Why do you think that it's finally shifting towards this? Because, I mean, gosh, of course we want to change. Look at the look at the history books. Like nobody, we don't want to stay the same. So, <laughs> like in any aspect, right? Like change is a great thing, but. People are still resistant to this because of that line I brought up at the beginning. I, my parents did it this way. My grandparents did it this way. I was respectful. I'm, you know, I, but like our eyes are opened now. So why, why is all that? Why, why is this just now becoming like big? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it is they call this the age of the brain. We're learning so much more about how brain Mm. is developed and the healthy way and the right way to grow a brain. And little toddlers, if you think about it, they're just li- we're just growing brains. That's what parents are they're they're manipulating environments and modeling behavior to grow a brain. Um and we've just become so much more aware about what should be happening and what shouldn't be happening. And I think that the research is frantically trying to catch up with all the technology um, that's being um, used in homes as well and what that does to a brain. And so there's just so much more research happening. And we're looking back at generations who did do the spanking, who did do a, a lot of the punitive punishment things and, and seeing how, adults are motivated and what kind of um, 
what kind of stories they're telling themselves and their children disobey. And um, there's just a lot of, yeah, I, I agree that there are a lot of people who turn out quote unquote fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we don't even really know what that means, right? Yeah. And, and what we're learning is that there's just so much risk involved. There are really, there are riskier ways to raise a child and there are ways that all, there's almost certainty that they will thrive. Mm. So which, which way would you pick? You know, obviously as a loving parent, you would pick you, I want the loving home. I want the safe home. I want the home where children feel comfortable coming and staying. I mean, there's stronger things than curfews that gets a child to come and stay at home. Ooh, and that is yeah. having a loving environment. What's your take on curfews? (laughs) Just curious. Oh, you know, I think boundaries are really important. Limits are really important. Um, Children thrive on them. Mm. Um, I've talked about them before on my feed and parents will send messages back and they'll say, I grew up with no limits and Mm. no boundaries. And I felt like my parents didn't love me. Mm. They didn't care where I was or what I was doing. And so I do think that boundaries are really important because if you don't set a responsible boundary for your child, there's no nothing for him to bounce up against. And so there's no way for him to discover where you begin and he ends. And so it's it's very difficult for him to create an, his own sense of self, who he is and what he's responsible for. And what boundaries teach is you are responsible for your behavior and I am responsible for my behavior. Um, and, and they just are um, a really great gift for children is to have a loving home where there are, where there are boundaries. Like our, we do not, sorry, we don't do that. We don't verbally berate each other. We don't hit or whatever your boundaries are. And, And that's, Another truth is that each and every home is going to have different boundaries. And there's nothing that says that this is the the right way to parent. There are lots of different rights, many, many different kinds of rights. Um, I have families that I absolutely love who are very spontaneous. They don't have a schedule. You know? mm. <laughs> they just like, whatever. <laughs> uh, they live kind of more, um, not necessarily free range, but their children just kind of yeah, are are kind of all over the place, but they are a loving home that has boundaries where the boundaries are really important for them when their priorities are and they just stick to them. And so, but there's other homes where they're regimented and they're type A, you know, and they're just like, this is our schedule and we go to bed at 7.30 and, you know, da, 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 da. and all of that is good too. There's, the, there's just a few key elements um, to a home where children um, grow up and, um, are strong, healthy, resilient, um, children. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about the schedules and, and everything, we can some, we can be pretty sporadic sometimes. And, um, especially with dinner, like it'll be six thirty, and I'm like, what are we having for dinner? And I'm scrambling and whatever. Um, and yesterday I made a, a point. I was like, we're sitting down for dinner at 6.15 and we're getting everybody to bed by 7.30. <laughs> and we did that and it was wonderful. I mean, it's a lot of work to be like, we're sticking to this. We're rolling up our sleeves. We're moving through bedtime. 
but it's really nice to have everybody in bed and to have like some more moments to yourself. So um, that being said, sometimes it is nice to just say whatever, you know, yeah. um, and I'm thankful that my brain can kind of do both depending on what's happening week to week. Um, but man, that structure last night, that was beautiful. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes things like that are just a luxury. You know, you're like, oh, this is luxurious. I'm loving this because it's novel. It stands out. And that's what I kind of have to see. <laughs> now I'm at that point in my life where I'm like, it's luxurious to go to bed at 10. It's not that I'm a bore. It's because it's a luxury. Oh, 10. I'm talking like 839. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. You probably are to the point, though, where you have kids that stay up later than you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have a night owl, and we have to really encourage her to go to bed. <laughs> I know. I feel I get nervous about that for when my boys get older, when it's like they're putting themselves to bed, because I'm not going to stay up till 11 p.m. to make sure they get to bed. Mm -hmm. And um, we can dive into this really quick. I know we're getting close on time, but I get nervous about uh, access to like t uh, the internet, you know what I mean? When I'm in bed, like what they'll be doing. So, um, really quickly, can you, I don't know if you have, if there's time for this even, but can you share a little bit about when and how you introduced technology to your kids and kind of what your boundaries are there? Oh, I love that question. It's a great one. Cause that's a huge question on everybody's mind now with raising children and what to do with the tech. So what we've done in our home, and it seems like it's working well, is that, and I see, I say seems mm -hmm. because it's not fair to um, this generation because we're the first generation to kind of figure this out. Yeah. And it's a great honor, but it's also a great responsibility as well. Mm -hmm. um, we have just baby stepped into technology a little step at a time, um, line upon line one thing here, another thing there, and to help them to grow into it. My goal with my children is for them to have a really strong sense of their identity, who they are, what their purpose is, what talents they have, um, that they can, um, that they're responsible, that they can manage their emotions before I hand them a phone mm -hmm. <laughs> that is like, you know, well, is the catalyst of everything. Yeah. So, um, and, and honestly, a thing that we're struggling with as adults, we struggle with phones. Totally. And so it's not fair for an un, you know, completed, developed brain to, um, to try to navigate that. So what we've done is, um, I, like we gave Erin, that's my oldest, we gave her a, like an MP3 player so that she could learn how to manage that and when to play that and when to not. And, and then we, we would do walkie talkies and then we, Oh, let's try. Um, now that then we gave her an echo dot so that she could listen to music and use it as an alarm clock. Um, and now the girls have a phone that is, uh, uh, my old smartphone that they share and it stays at the house and they use that to text their friends mm. and to communicate with their friends. So it's shared. And I kind of love that because they police each other. It's like I love that. Together. That's awesome. <laughs> They're just like, you've been on it too much. You need to put it away, you know, because they, yeah. I love the sharing. Each other's, each other's business. And that's another thing I did like a reel where I talked about not giving your child 
a cell phone as a gift, mm. wait until like a random time and just be like, here's a tool. We've seen that you're responsible enough and let's talk about, let's make up a, a contract together and have some buy-in here about whether, when you can, what's responsible use for it. Anyway, I got a lot of feedback about that and um, a lot of parents were, or a lot of people were saying, well, cell phones should be private like it does belong to them because mm. it's private and that's not personally I feel like if you are a teenager cell phones are not private mm. mm -hmm. they should be something that and mom and dad can get into at any time and and so I love that that they're sharing it it's that there's no privacy <laughs> because there's only one texting app and they all have to like you know, make sure they don't, they don't read each other's texts because then, oh, then, then, then they won't know who, you know, what yeah. texts are new and what aren't. But they, so they're kind of finding that line between like, I respect you, you respect me, but we can also like see each other's stuff. So let's say kind of, again, you're just teaching them one step at a time, how to manage that, how to, how to use it as a tool, how to put it away when you don't need it. Um, and so the little steps at a time, we never allow any tech in bedrooms. See, that's, um, yeah, that's key. Yeah. That's, it is, it is key. And that's something that if I could stand on the mountaintops, that'd be one of the things I would shout out is please don't let tech go into bedrooms. I know I kick myself when my kids see me in bed with my cell phone now. I'm like, you are not going to let them do that. So why are you letting them see you do that? Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to model all the things, isn't it? Yeah, because you can simply be checking your email, but you're staring at your phone and they don't know what you're doing. And so, right. you know, it's it's just all they're seeing is you on your phone. Right. And that's another good thing to, to, to know is when you are on your phone and you're with them, you can tell them what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll say, okay, hold on one second. I'm messaging my friend because I just found out that her daughter's in the hospital and I want to make sure she's okay. So that they, oh, she's using it as an important tool to help her to serve other people or they're making a connection with, oh, it's, 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 it's being used for purpose um, rather than just like, scrolling social media which which uh, we do when we need sure. to like yeah veg out but it's, yeah it's good for your children to know that the majority of the time you are using it for for a purpose yeah did you give them like limits though because I'm just curious I mean my kids are so young so obviously you know the fighting and the it's my turn thing is much different when you're talking about an eight and a six-year-old and you're talking about a 17 and a 15-year-old uh, but did you just say, hey, you guys need to figure out like who gets the phone when? Because, you know, I'm imagining one of them's in the middle of a long text string with a friend and the other one might want the phone and all that. Mm hmm. Yeah. So our rule is when another child needs it for something, they can say, OK, in 10 minutes. So they okay. once another child needs it, then they can have 10 minutes to finish up whatever it is that they need to do. And then they hand it over. Um, also, they're supposed to finish their schoolwork and have their jobs done before they they use it. That's something that we still work on and we have to reteach over and over and over again. And I actually had that thought when you were talking about something else to tell parents like have that perspective that you are going to have to teach things over and over mm. and over and over again and 
that your homes will have yelling and fighting. Mm. And that's a, that's a healthy home. Mm. Your home will have messes. That's a healthy home. Your home will have, you know, children who have tantrums. That's absolutely healthy. Um, I think that as parents, we put on ourselves the guilt of, oh, like, are my homes messy? My children are fighting. My my child tantrums. She, she's whining. I have I keep having to keep telling him to leave the tech alone. Uh, there's something wrong with you know my parenting. That's all a part of growing. That's all a part of of a healthy development, and it it's there naturally because it, it's supposed to be there. Children learn so much while they're going through each of those stages. They learn how to forgive, they learn how to compromise, they learn how to manage, they learn how to have moderation, they learn how to respect. I mean, I could go on and on, on about all the things that happen in a home that mature a child. So just have that perspective. It's gonna be there and it's okay and it's welcomed. I am so glad that you said that because you know, sometimes I think that you can look at another person's life and think, oh, their home seems so peaceful. Like I want my house to be peaceful. And it's so cliche to say, but like obviously you don't know what is all going on in someone's home from what they post on their Instagram stories, you know. Um, And so it's a good reminder that even when you've been practicing this for years, that yeah, it's like it's there's not you're not escaping the chaos unless you have like a couple of kids that just naturally are just super zen, you know? Right. Yeah. And that's true. There are children who are born just with easier, easier temperaments. Yeah. And you kind of look at that child and you're like, no, and that's not fair. I yeah. want all of those, you know, <laughs> like, but it also is very reassuring to know, Hey, I make all types. <laughs> I make some that are very much peacemakers and others that are, Ooh, parenting 505 type of a thing. And I love that. I love that there's so much diversity in a home, even within your own children, and that you cannot blame yourself for your child's behavior. And you cannot also praise yourself for your child's Mm. behavior because they make their own decisions and they make their own choices. Don't ever like measure your success as a parent based on what your child chooses to do. Measure your success as a parent on what you choose to do and the choices that you are making. I'm giving all these reaffirming mmms like I'm at church. (laughs) So good. That's the poll quote from the episode. That's so good. And it's so important to remember because I don't know about you people listening right now, but there have been so many times where I've been on the floor in tears because of something my child has done. And I'm thinking, where did I go wrong? And it's hard. It is, and it's such a habitual thing for parents to absorb it all and to feel so much guilt. Mm-hmm. But what I like to say is, is if you if that was your measurement of success, then no one would ever succeed, not even God. Mm. I mean, look at all of His children who have strayed, and I, I just think that there can't that cannot be the way we are meant to be, be beings who are supposed to be able to have successful lives and happy, joyful lives. We're meant to um, look at each other as not like problem-making people, but joy-making people. And I think that it's just this 
rewiring of how we look at things. I, it's just, it's not even that the situation has changed. It's how you look at it and the way that you see it. And that's sometimes we think, oh, well, yeah, she, she speaks on parenting. She, she's a, a parenting coach or a parenting expert or whatever. She must have well obedient child children that just are wonderful peacemakers. But the truth is that your children don't change. Your perception of what's happening changes. And you do your best to um, keep things within a tolerable range, but you but they'll never ever be perfect because you want them to be human. You want them to learn from their mistakes. You want them to grow. And that's that's like the beauty of it, is that you step back and take a deep breath and you're like, this is right. There's nothing wrong with this. This is the right way for a home to sound and for a home to be. And I think that is is where we um, find the most joy is just being able to breathe and let it go and let it be. You know, sometimes I feel like I do connect with my kids the most when they do mess up or have make a bad choice because I think, oh, yeah, I've done that, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, like, oh. Exactly. Oh, just like me. That's what I say all the time. Ah. Like, oh, it's just like me. I don't like to be made to eat things that I don't like. Yeah. I don't like to have to wear tights when I don't want to wear tights or, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah, I'm the same way. Just because they're smaller than us, it doesn't mean they're a different species. <laughs> they're, we're just the same. We're just a little bit, a little bit short. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes just telling them to like, give them an example or something of, oh yeah, I felt like that when this happened to me and I reacted this way. And now looking back, I think I could have done it differently. You know, I, I think that giving those examples, I've recently started trying to do that a little bit with, especially with my older son and I, cause I kind of see him processing it a little bit more than, you know, my younger ones. But, uh, I think that's been helpful. Yeah. Oh yeah. When you purposefully vocalize your thoughts, that helps children a ton. Um, it helps them to see the adult cogs moving on and how to like, Oh, change what I'm going to say, even though these are my thoughts, you know, figuring out how to manipulate and manage our thinking, that flexible thinking that adults always have to do in order to um, produce and to metabolize things in a healthy way so that we can manage our environment. Well, Ralphie, this has been wonderful and I feel so lucky that I got to spend this hour and ask you all these questions and just have a conversation with you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. It was so fun. My pleasure. I have a couple of the end of the podcast questions here. Can you tell us what the best, most recent book you've personally read is? Um, the most recent book that I've read is a book called The Secrets of Happy Families. I'm always digging into um, parenting books and kind of that's a purpose of Simply On Purpose. My feed is to curate the very best things and what I've read and what I love. And so I really did like that book a lot. It talks about the importance of family dinners and chores and um, branding your family. It was a great book. I'm going to order it today. Yeah, so good. <laughs> I know you have a beautiful book collection for your kids. What is a favorite kid book you can recommend? Oh, my favorite kid book is 
called Where Happiness Lives. Okay. It's a story about a mouse who is looking out his window at a beautiful home and wishing he lived there. Oh. He goes to that home and then that mouse is looking in a window at a beautiful home wishing they lived there. And so they go to that house and that house is this gorgeous castle and the girl that lives in that castle is looking at a house that she wished she lived in. It's the first mouse, the mouse that lives in like the little tiny home. And so it's just a matter of like, oh, like just savor even the simplest um, things in your life and just be grateful for what you have. Oh, that's good. That sounds amazing. Okay. It's a sweet book. What's a bucket list or goal for your family that you guys haven't done yet that you want to do? I would love for us to go on a service trip somewhere mm. and just um, that's like the entire purpose is to just do humanitarian work somewhere. I would love to do that. That's definitely something that we have on our list. And then what, you know, you bottle all this conversation up and your message that you put out to the world every single day on your feed. What is, what is like the, the big message that you want parents to walk away f- with when they leave this conversation? Um, I would say, let's see, I would say ignore the junk, mm-hmm. like ignore it. Just pay attention and look for the good and don't sweat the little things. Um, that comes with, years of experience and 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 you'll figure it out when they're behind you but you'll realize that those little things like the spilled milk all over the table or not wearing the clothes that you set out or whining and bickering all that little stuff it goes away it moves on and what lingers is that pattern of of loving parenting so uh, don't sweat the little things wonderful thank you ralphie you're welcome All right, friends, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Ralphie, for coming on the show. You all can learn more about Ralphie. Simply on Purpose is her Instagram. We would love to connect with you on Instagram as well. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling? And our Facebook group on Facebook is just called Why Is Everyone Yelling? I'd love to also connect with you personally. I'm Lindsay Hines 626 over there. Thanks for being here. I hope you have a great summer. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?